0: Well, hey, welcome to Sojourn. Uh, my name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. It's just good to, to gather with you this morning. And for the dads that are here this morning, happy Father's Day uh, to you. I'm grateful for you to be here if you either came with... Uh, your son or daughter, or you have a son or daughter. It's just good to be uh, with you here this morning and celebrate that together. Uh, Typically at Sojourn, we don't do like Mother's Day and Father's Day sermons. And in fact, the sermon title today is called Whims and Women. So we're going to focus on something completely different uh, than Father's Day this morning. But hey, if this is your first time gathering with us, uh, as Eric said earlier, grateful that you're here. would love to meet you. Uh, so you can come up and say something to me after the service. I'll usually hang out down front. would love just to say hello to you and, and help you get connected here at Sojourn. Uh, we are in the book of Matthew. And so if you need a copy of the Bible this morning, would you just raise your hand? Uh, Matt will bring a Bible around to you. We'd love for you to be able to read along with us this morning out of the book of Matthew. And know those are always there for you. Uh, if you don't actually own a copy of the scriptures, uh, you can take that home. It's our gift to you. We want you to have God's Word Uh, But as we begin our time each week, we just want to go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to bless this time and use this in our lives. So would you pray with me this morning? Father, we come before you this morning and are grateful for your grace. We're grateful that your grace is what allows us to be here this morning, that your grace allowed us to wake up this morning, to get out of the bed, to come and gather with your people. And so as we come now to the time of preaching in our service this morning, I pray that we would just come and see this as a gift of your grace. That your word is given to us to help us understand who you are, to help us understand who we are, to walk in faithfulness with you. And so we pray that as the word is preached this morning, that it wouldn't be through anything that I say in particular, but to be the power of your spirit working through the preached word to help us be transformed and changed to be who you've called us to be. We pray that your word would be effective this morning, that as it goes out, that you would do good things in our lives because we've been here today. Father, we pray that you'd help us to be a kingdom people as we talk about being in the inverted kingdom of Jesus, that you would help us to be a kingdom people. And for those of us here this morning that don't yet know you, I pray that you'd move people closer to you today, that you'd impart life to those this morning that may be far from you. So Lord, would you bring healing and hope today because of our time in your word. And we submit this to you and pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In uh, in 1971, a movie was released called Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Maybe some of you guys have seen that movie. It's kind of a weird movie, Uh, but uh, maybe you've seen it even if you weren't born in the 70s or anything like that. It's just kind of one of those classic kid movies that a lot of us have either watched in school or at home. But if you're unfamiliar with the story or if it's been a while since you've seen it, let me just give you a little recap it tells the story of five kids who uh, find a golden ticket in a Willy Wonka chocolate bar. And this golden ticket is going to allow them to tour the chocolate factory, Willy Wonka's chocolate factory that's been kind of shut down and closed off to people for many years. And Willy Wonka himself has been essentially a recluse in this factory. No one's seen him for a long period of time. And, and again, it's, it's kind of a weird movie. If you've watched it before, there's just a lot of weird stuff in it. But something interesting, I think, about this movie that actually gives a pretty interesting interesting commentary on wants and desires of people. In fact, one character in the movie, her name is Veruca Salt. And she always gets what she wants when she wants it. She's always demanding to get this or that. And in one scene, she sings a song called, I Want It Now. And here's some of the words. I'm not going to sing them for you. I'll just say them to you. (laughs) She says, I want a party." pink macaroons and a million balloons and performing baboons. Give it to me now. I want the world. I want the whole world. I want to lock it all up in my pocket. It's my bar of chocolate. Give it to me now. And the song ends with her repeating, I don't care how I want it now. I don't care how I want it now, right before she drops down the chute for bad eggs. And this song embodies, I think, something that's Pretty common in, in, in and a reality for almost all of us, something maybe we don't vocalize always and certainly maybe don't sing songs about, but really betray, betrays the reality of our hearts that we want what we want and we want it now. We see something we want and we want to go after it. Well, over the next two Sundays, we're going to be looking at a text in this sermon that Jesus is preaching. This, this thing we call the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Jesus is teaching his disciples who have come close to him about his kingdom. And we call it the Sermon on the Mount. And the text we're going to look at over the next two weeks is, is challenging for us and important for us. And it's important for us whether we call ourselves followers of Christ or not, because in it, Jesus presses on some issues that manifest themselves in our lives, that manifest themselves in our culture, and affect us and come in contact with us in some form or fashion. It's a text that addresses sexuality and sexual temptation in our view of women. It's a text that addresses deep desires in the cry of our hearts of, I want it now. And so my hope is is that God will use this time in His Word over these next two weeks to help us to see with new eyes. To see with new eyes and to see our hearts transformed so that we might live in the freedom that Jesus has purchased for us. And so it's going to press on us and challenge us, and I hope that God will use it to impact our lives for His glory and for our good. So may God bless the preaching of His Word this morning. If you haven't already, you can flip open to Matthew chapter 5. 5. We're going to be in verses 27 through 32 this morning. 27 through 32. This is what Jesus says to us this morning. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now we've been in this series now for a few months looking at Jesus teaching on his inverted kingdom. And we've called it that because as we've seen throughout uh, the beginning of this, over the last few months, the beginning of this teaching of Jesus is that the ways of Jesus and his kingdom are very upside down to the way that the world operates, the way that the world thinks, the way the world calls us to live our lives And Jesus is calling his people, his disciples, who've come close to him, to walk in his ways because they're good. They're his good ways. And the way that we walk in his good ways is by abiding in him, being close to him, following him. And so today we come to this set of texts, and if you've been around the church for a while, and you can even see this in your Bible, it's it's really broken into two sections. We have one section, verses 27 through 30, and then we have verses 31 and 32, and a lot of times those are separated out. We look at those two things separately, but what I want to do today is I want to look at them together, and the reason I want to look at them together is because I think they're very much related, and in them we see the ways of King Jesus and his inverted kingdom, Next week, what we're going to do is we're going to come back and look at verses 27 through 30 in a more focused way. But as we look at verses 27 through 32, we're going to look at them together because in it we see that Jesus deals with a heart issue and cultural issue that's still relevant for you and I today in the world we find ourselves in. In this text, Jesus deals with our whims and he deals with our view of women. And that's really our two main points for our our sermon today, our time in God's Word today is whims and women. And then we'll finish our time this morning by talking about the implications for us as a kingdom community. So let's look at our whims. I mean, what is a whim? The simple definition for a whim is that it's a sudden, passing, and often fanciful idea. It's impulsive or irrational thought. Generally speaking, whims are our unthought-out desires that we take action on. And so we can say things like, she bought that new pair of shoes on a whim, or he decided to buy that new car on a whim. I mean, even this week I saw as I was looking up different definitions of whim that there's actually a dating app called whim. And this is, what it's, this is the byline or whatever, the, the selling point for this app. It says whim, talking about this dating app, cuts to the chase and sets up actual dates. No endless texting, no flakes or fakes. So hey, if you're looking for a date, it's saying you don't need to, you can just go out on a date, just sit down with somebody, it's just go out on a whim and you can spend time with somebody. Man, that that tells us a lot about our culture. Because so often, life, especially in America, we have a want, we have a desire, and so we act on it. We don't care how, we want it now. I mean, we really have a hard time waiting, don't we? We have a hard time waiting on the will and the ways and the plans of God for our life. And when things seem challenging to us, the road seems long or difficult, and it puts obstacles in the way of what we think we most desire or most want or would be the most good for us. We struggle to wait on the ways and the plans of God when God might be holding something back from us for our good. Then all of us have whims, thoughts that seem to pop in our head that we don't give a lot of thought to, and then we seek to act on. See, whims come from the desires that come from within our hearts. And as we've said often here at Sojourn, our hearts are the place that our, the motivational structures of our life reside. Everything we think, everything we do, all of our actions and beliefs are kind of housed in our hearts. And out of our hearts flow what we think and say and do. And so Jesus is pressing on this here because out of, the, out of our hearts come these whims, these desires that we don't think a lot of, time, a lot of times we don't think very much about. And so Jesus is addressing in this text a a wrong understanding of the law, God's law, the way that he calls us to live. He's addressing addressing a wrong understanding of the law and a wrong interpretation of the law. Because the religious leaders, the law experts, have focused so much on the do's and don'ts that God calls them to, but have divorced that, have separated that from the heart. And they've promoted living a life based on, on just kind of outward performance and what seems like seemingly innocent but really truly dangerous whims in life. And so Jesus focuses on two related things. And so I want to look at each of them briefly and then kind of focus on the main point of what uh, I think is important for us today. In verses 27 through 30, we see Jesus again confronting the religious leaders and law experts and And we know that these law experts, they uphold the Ten Commandments. The beginning of God's law is what we call the Ten Commandments. And we can go back and look in Exodus chapter 20 and see as as God gives his law to his people, he begins with these Ten Commandments. And the Seventh Commandment says very clearly, do not commit adultery. And so the law experts believe that to be true. They believe that to be good. They upheld that. But they also reasoned from that, well, listen, I'm not sleeping with another woman. Therefore, I'm not committing adultery. Box checked. Let's move on. As long as I'm not doing this thing, I didn't commit adultery, outwardly so. I'm not having a relationship with someone that's not my wife, and so I'm good to go. But here Jesus is beginning to press deeper at a deeper level of our heart and desires. And so he says very clearly, but I say to you, I say to you with authority as the king of kings, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, A couple of things to note here, and part of the reason we're going to focus on what we're going to focus on this morning, Jesus is talking to men. Now we know that women also have lust in their hearts, sexual temptation and sexual sin they deal with, but it's interesting here and purposeful, I believe, that Jesus is talking to men, and we'll see why in a few minutes. Now, you might right away be thinking, okay, he says lustful intent. If I even look at a woman with lustful intent, then I've also committed essentially the same degree of disobedience as adultery. So we might start to think, well, what exactly does Jesus mean by lustful intent? Is it the amount of time I look at a woman? Is it, is it how I look at her? Is it if I know her or don't know her? If I intend to actually do anything with her or not? But see, right there, if we're asking those questions, then we're missing Jesus' point. This is an issue of your heart of your wants, of your desires, your whims, that when they go unchecked, when they're not submitted to the lordship of Jesus, will lead to sin. And Jesus is making a clear and definitive statement here. Sexual immorality is not merely about outward behavior, but it begins in the depths of our hearts and our minds before it ever manifests itself outwardly. If you look at a woman sexually sexually, then you have violated God's laws in the same manner as committing adultery. Now, this would be intense words for, for Jesus' hearers. This, was, this is different than their understanding of God's law. It's different than their understanding and believing of what God's law intended. And so Jesus presses it a bit further. It would have been intense for them to hear that. And it's really indicting for all of us this morning because who hasn't done this? If we say we haven't done this, then I think we're only deceiving ourselves. But Jesus doesn't stop there, does he? He goes on to say something even more intense. He says, well, listen, if your eye or your hand causes you to sin in this way, then rip out your eye, tear it out, gouge it out, or cut off your hand. It's better for you to do that than to be thrown into hell. I mean, what in the world is Jesus talking about here? Is he calling us to literally maim ourselves if we sin sexually or have lustful desires? Well, I'm not going to answer that question today. You'll have to wait until next week, and we'll look at that then. But what is clear is that Jesus is definitively saying that sexual sin is serious and must be taken seriously. If we operate out of our whims, then it's dangerous for our lives. This leads to the next two verses, verses 31 and 32. Again, what's going on here? Jesus is addressing another assumption and misinterpretation by the law experts. They said, listen, if you want to get divorced, In order to be in step with the law, all you need to do, you just need to make sure that you actually give your wife a certificate of divorce. So that if she'd like to get remarried, she can have that certificate of divorce, able to get remarried, end of story, move on. Again, notice he's addressing men here in the context of talking about divorce. But Jesus, again, takes it further he he's pointing out that the law does not prescribe divorce, it doesn't even encourage divorce, but due to sin and the brokenness of our world, it gives the parameters for it when it does happen. Because we are broken people in a broken world. And so Jesus makes a bold statement to get to the heart of the law, the heart of God, if you divorce your wife for anything except sexual or morality, then if she gets remarried, you make her and the man she remarries commit adultery, even if she has her certificate of divorce. This isn't about procedures Jesus is talking about here. It's not looking for ways to go about doing this. He's pressing on the reality that the covenant of marriage is meant to be long-lasting. Jesus says elsewhere that what God has joined together, let no man separate. This union between a husband and wife is meant to be lasting. But there is sin in our world. There is brokenness. And so that's not always the case. I mean, divorce is serious. But divorce is also a sensitive topic. It's often confusing and complex. It's difficult to navigate through, even as we look at God's word. There's a well-known pastor who was asked the question, if if you could have anything additional, God say anything additional in his word, give more information about one particular topic, what would it be? And without hesitating, he said, marriage and divorce. Because it's so complex, it's so difficult for us to walk with. And the reality is the reason for that is because it deals with real people in real life. And I know that divorce has affected many people in this room this morning. Either you're in the midst of that or have walked through that or you've been affected by it in your own parents' lives. And if that's you this morning, let me say something to you before we move on. God's grace is sufficient for you. It's sufficient for you. I may not know the details of your situation or the details of your life, but God does. He knows everything about you, as Eric even reminded us this morning. He knows the reality of your heart. He knows the reality of your life. God knows that, and I know Him. And He is loving, and He is gracious, and He is kind, and He is patient, and He is long-suffering, and He is merciful. He is a God of restoration. He is a God of redemption. And so if you have walked through or are walking through brokenness in the context of your marriage, know that about God that He cares for you and loves you even in the midst of the mess. See the cross of Jesus is, is sufficient it's sufficient for all of our brokenness, for all of our sin and all of our shame and if you're walking through something right now or, or that's been challenging for you or you're not sure how to navigate that because of something in the, rea- in the reality of the, the past in your life, I just encourage you to talk about it with someone. If you want to talk about it with me, let me know or I can help you connect you with someone else that would talk with you about that walk with you in this see divorce happens in a broken world of broken people but I think part of what Jesus is trying to communicate to us this morning is it shouldn't be the norm for God's kingdom people if you have two people in a marriage who are genuinely seeking to know and follow Jesus then fighting for your marriage by both walking in repentance in the context of community is what God desires and calls you to and so if you both are seeking to follow Christ, but are having a struggle right now, would you let somebody know that? Would you, would you let your community know that and then listen to them? Listen to them as they walk with you through that and call you to the ways of, the good ways of God. So the question then to ask is not what is permissible in divorce, but how do we as a community of God's people better value and uphold marriage as his people? And God has designed that. And so how do we do that? To give glory and honor to Him. See, so often our thoughts that lead to actions begin with these unchecked whims. We we see something we want, where we don't like the way that something's going, and so we seek to just act on it without giving much thought to it, and and we don't always think about how it affects other people, and most importantly, what God thinks about it. We say, "I want it now," and that is the cry of our heart. So often. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, James kind of paints the picture of the reality of what this looks like in our life. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. What James is saying, and we have to understand, is that operating out of our whims that are impacted by our sin will always and only lead to death will only lead to death. But the good news of Jesus is that Jesus has come to bring life, to bring redemption, to bring restoration, to bring reconciliation. But here's something that I want us to see this morning, and this is why we're focusing on these two texts together this morning. We see the seriousness of both these things, and so often, again, we, we, we see these and we, and we understand them, we see these two different things, we, se- we separate them out, talking about sexual sin, talking about divorce and marriage, but we might miss something in this, and it's something that even as I've walked through and studied the scriptures over time, I think sometimes have missed seeing something critical that Jesus is calling us to in his inverted kingdom. Jesus is flipping so much on its head, and he does that again here this morning, and it's talking about our view of women, which is our second point this morning. See, Jesus flips on our, head, on, on our head and on our understanding what we understand about women as we see what he calls us to in his inverted kingdom. See, in the ancient world, women were often viewed as objects and possessions that could be used and easily discarded when no longer useful. They were seen as whims or affected by the whims of men. Men felt that women were for sexual pleasure and being essentially servants in the home. They weren't valued as people. And so, men who said that they were following God, men who said that they were seeking and striving to live out and walk in obedience to the law of God, were looking at other women with lustful intent and seeing nothing wrong with it. Men at times were divorcing divorcing their wives when they essentially got tired of them. There are recorded instances where women were divorced after they cooked a bad meal. A bad meal, one bad dinner here's your certificate of divorce, see you later. Just operating out of those whims, discarding when we don't want them or need them anymore. Men would lust after another woman, divorce their wife, and then remarry the one they lusted after. And even in the ancient pagan world, those that weren't seeking to follow God, there were even laws and rules in place that said adultery was even permitted at times in the cases of men, but never for the woman. In fact, the woman would be put to death because of that. See, in, in both cases, verses 27 through 30 and 31 through 32, men have degraded or discarded the women involved. That's why we see these two things together. In both of these instances, they're not seeking to value women, and so Jesus is seeking to flip that on, the, on its head. The heart of the matter for Jesus is not simply don't sin sexually, don't divorce your wife. No, the heart of the matter for Jesus is to make abundantly clear that in His kingdom, women are to be prized and valued and cherished as fellow image bearers of God. In Jesus' kingdom, women are not second-class citizens. In Jesus' kingdom, women are not objects to be lusted after. In Jesus' kingdom, they're not to be discarded or set aside and King Jesus has a high view of women. We we see that here in this text, but we see it all throughout the gospels. We see Jesus speak gently and kindly to women, actually having a face-to-face conversation with them. We see Jesus healing women. We see that some of Jesus's followers are women, and that would have been so countercultural at the time of Jesus. Teachers like Jesus would not have spent very much time with women. And so the fact that Jesus acknowledges them and treats them as equal persons along with the men that are with him would have been so countercultural. But this is not just relevant for Jesus' time, it's relevant for us today because the reality for us today is that we live in a world, we find ourselves in a world that still struggles to value women like Jesus values them. You and I live in a sexualized culture that makes women the objects of sexual fantasy and lust. The the pornography industry is booming right now. It's one of the most profitable industries in all of industry, but isn't just there that we see this. You see it in the covers of magazines, at the grocery stores, social media, TV shows, and movies. You hear it in songs on the radio. Women are constantly told to look a certain way, dress a certain way. Our culture is addicted to improving female image and beauty all the while not realizing and recognizing that females are image bearers of God and because of that are inherently beautiful. And ladies, some of you, I think, need to hear that this morning. But the fact of the matter is you are made in the image of God and because of that, not what anyone thinks about you, because of that, you are beautiful. You're beautiful. I mean, Sojourn, our culture is constantly teaching us. It's constantly teaching and I think so often we go unaware of that. We don't realize that every time we step out of our homes or we turn on the TV or we take in something from culture, it's constantly teaching us. It's telling us what to believe. It's telling us what to pursue. It's teaching women and wives and little girls that in order to be valued and cherished and prized, they need to act a certain way or look a certain way or do certain things. And our culture is teaching men and husbands and little boys that women are something to obtain, to use, and to move on to the next when we get tired of the first. Women are consciously and subconsciously taught that they are to be be the fulfillment of the whims and wants of men and that if they are desired, and only when they're desired by men, then they're prized. So when we promote that idea of women, being just objects or items to trade in, we degrade them. And it has greatly impacted our culture, greatly impacted our world. There's a statistic that says one in six women have experienced sexual abuse or assault in some form. One in six women. If we just focus on college-aged women, one in four college-aged women, 25% have experienced sexual abuse or assault in some form. So statistically speaking, that means there are people in this room this morning that that is their story. And that should be heartbreaking to us. That there are men and women around us this morning that have been experienced that, have been affected by their women here this morning that have been used in that way. But the good news of Jesus is that the King has come and Jesus brings healing and he brings hope and he brings restoration and he brings renewal for the broken. He brings renewal for those that have been hurt. And so if you this morning have experienced that and you feel distant from God over that, know that you don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to make that better in your life. Jesus' arms are open to you to come and to bring healing to your life. See, in Jesus' kingdom, all people are valued, men and women, because all people are image bearers of God. The inverted nature of Jesus' inverted kingdom, though, is that the responsibility is on the men, not the women. See, Jesus doesn't tell women what to do in these texts. He doesn't really address them at all. But in doing that, talking to the men, he's seeking to value the women. See, sojourn, women should not be leading the way in seeking to value women. God's men need to be leading the way in seeking to value women. God's men are called to do that. And in the context of Jesus's time, some men were blaming women for their sexual temptation and lustful thoughts. So they would make laws against that. You need to dress in a certain way. You need to wear these kinds of clothes in order to keep men from sinning. Man, have we heard that before? It's infiltrated its way into the church as well. We so often call women to modesty. And listen, modesty is a good thing. That's Okay. But we call women to modesty in order to help out their brothers in Christ. But here, Jesus is not laying the responsibility of sexual sin on women. He's laying it squarely on the shoulders of men. Don't blame her for your lustfulness. Don't blame the season and what women wear during certain seasons on your lustfulness. This is a matter of your heart. If your hand or your eye causes you to sin, cut yours off. Don't blame it on somebody else. Don't, don't dismiss a woman like a servant. Cherish her as a friend and a helper. I mean, simply put, in Jesus' kingdom, women, no matter how old they are, no matter what they look like, are valued citizens and children of God. And so, as God's kingdom people, we have to uphold that truth and we need to fight for it in the world we find ourselves in that does not communicate that. So, what are we to do as God's kingdom community? leads to our last point. What are we to do with this as God's kingdom community? As as Jesus seeks to show us the value of women, that responsibility over this is on the shoulders of men, what do we do as a kingdom community made up of men and women? Well, we need to remember that Jesus is king. Colossians chapter 1 says that he is the image of the invisible God. And all of us are made in the image of God, but Jesus is renewing the image of God within us by what he's done for us. He's the deliverer and the restorer. In Jesus, we have redemption. In Jesus, we have peace. In Jesus, all of the old is put away. In Jesus, the new has come. In Jesus, who is that perfect image bearer, he is is renewing the marred image of God in us. It's being renewed and transformed. In Jesus, God's people are able to love God and love others. Jesus lived a perfect life to replace the imperfect life in us. He embodied, li- that we embody, and when we live out our whims, Jesus replaces that by his perfect life. Sin does lead to death, but Jesus went to the cross, and on, the de- on his death, on the cross, took on the death that you and I deserve because of our whims, because of our sin, so that we wouldn't have to. See, sojourn at the foot of the cross, all are welcome. And at the foot of the cross, all are valued, men and women. And maybe some of you just need to hear that this morning. Maybe you don't yet know Christ. And you think, well, I've got to get this straight in my life first. I've got to figure this out first. I need to understand all of this about God first. But the foot of the cross is an equal and level place for all of us to come with all of our mess and all of our brokenness and receive the grace that God gives us in and through Jesus. You can accept and trust in Christ today. But see, if you have truly repented of your sin, if you have truly trusted in Christ, then God's word says that he has transferred you from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And if you're in the kingdom of his son, then you're a part of a kingdom community. And that kingdom community manifests itself and lives out itself in and through the local church. But see, the good news of the gospel doesn't just bring us together as a bunch of renewed people. It causes us to live in a new way with one another causes us to live in a new way with one another. So I want to point out two of these ways as it relates to our relationships between men and women. The first is this, that the gospel of the kingdom of God gives us a new way of relating to one another. A new way of relating to one another. Because of what Jesus has done, by faith, God has become our Father. By faith, God is our Father. And because God is our Father, we are now His children And so that means when it comes to you and I that that we now can call each other brother and sister. We're a part of the same family, not by blood, but by adoption. We're brought into this family together as brothers and sisters. But listen, this is not just a neat way to talk about each other. It's a biblical indication of how we're to treat one another. We're to treat each other as brothers. We're to treat each other as sisters. Paul makes this point to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy 5 Paul is talking to to Timothy, who's a young man and a leader in the church, and he says this to Timothy Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Paul's telling Timothy, Look, if you want to understand how to relate to the people around you, to the body of Christ, it should be like a family. Encourage all of them as fathers and brothers, as mothers and sisters. And so something we need to understand this morning and something Jesus is communicating to us and talking about his kingdom is that the gospel reorients and transforms our relationships. So really, I think we can say that the biblical way for men to relate to women is either as our wife, our mother, or our sisters. Our wife, our mother, or our sisters. There's no other context for that. There's there's no category for us to relate to women as objects for sexual fantasy. There's no category for men to relate to women as objects to hook up with or take advantage of. There's no category for men to see women as servants to be used or discard if we get tired of them. No, men, you are called to cherish and lead and serve them as your wives. You're called to respect them as your mothers. You're called to protect and guard and build them up as your sisters. That's the way of the king in his inverted kingdom. Men, you are called to look out for your sisters in Christ. You're called to uh, to cheer them on into Christ's likeness, to help them be who God has called them to be. And you're called to do that whether you're dating them, married to them, birthed by them, or simply in community with them. That's what God calls you to do. That's the only category he gives you. And in Jesus' kingdom, that's what we're called to do. And God made this a bit more clear to me in college. Amy and I dated pretty much uh, all through college. We met our freshman year and began dating in our freshman year. And we didn't have sex with each other when we were in college, but we did push the physical boundaries. And we knew that that was not honoring to Christ and it wasn't caring for each other. So we didn't care for God's, the relationship we had that God had given to us in in our bodies. And so God began to, to show me Really show both of us, this isn't honoring to him, but he began to show me that's my responsibility. It's my responsibility that I needed to be a leader and, and to stop operating from my whims and wants and actually guard and protect my girlfriend, who one day would become my wife, who on Tuesday will celebrate 13 years of being married to one another. But God began to show me that's that's your responsibility. I'm placing that on your shoulders. You're called to lead and protect and guard her, to respect and love her by not pushing the physical boundaries with her. And this was challenging, but God gave us the help to do this, and it made our relationship healthier. It made it better. And I needed to learn something. I needed to learn something in that, and it's something that every guy in this room needs to learn, whether you're married or not, and that's this, that the women in this room and the women in this world are to be respected and loved as sisters in Christ, or as those who we hope will become sisters in Christ by God's grace. We relate to one another differently now. We're not Looking at women as a different class of people, we respect them and love them and cherish them. And that leads to our second way that the gospel gives us a new way of relating. The gospel of the kingdom of God also gives us a new way of loving one another. As a kingdom community, we are called to a new way of loving one another as men and women. The pages of the New Testament are filled with a call to God's kingdom people to love one another in a new way, a way that's only possible by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit, a way that's only explainable because of the gospel. And the gospel changes our hearts, which means that the gospel reorients our love. We no longer live and love ourselves. God calls us and empowers us by his Spirit to live for him and to love others around us more than we love ourselves. And so when it comes to our view of women, gospel love seeks to love through sacrifice and service. It allows us to focus on the needs of others instead of what will be most fulfilling to us. And so in the context of marriage, then husbands, let me say this to you. Sex in your marriage is not an opportunity for you to be served. It's an opportunity for you to serve, to serve your wife, to love her. It's not just for you. It's an opportunity to live out the ethic of King Jesus, which means that you never demand sex from your wife, you never force sex on your wife, and you never pursue sex with someone other than your wife. Now, husbands, you're called to pursue your wife, to value your wife, to serve your wife, and let the motivation of that not be what you're going to get back from her. It's not to get something from her. Let the motivation for that be your love for the Lord your God who calls you to lay down, your, lay down your life for your wife and to love that woman that God has given to you as a bride. And listen, if you're not married, men, let me say to you, love your future wife. Love your future wife and the other women in your life by not pursuing sexual thought or action outside of marriage. Again, this can be difficult, but King Jesus has set you free from the passions and the desires of your flesh that wage war against your soul and has enabled you to walk in freedom. Again, we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. But ladies, what can you do in the context of this? My encouragement to you is to pray for the men in your life, the men in your community, that they would be men that God has called them to be. And listen, we will mess up along the way. We will mess up along the way, but would you encourage us by praying, encourage us to be who we are in Christ so that we can encourage you to be who you are in Christ. I mean, it's an amazing thing when the body of Christ relating to one another as brothers and sisters, men and women can have healthy relationships with people of the opposite sex. So often I think if you have grown up in certain college context and college ministries, we're so fearful that men and women don't know how to relate to one another that we just separate each other constantly. But I don't think the beauty of the fullness of the body of Christ is experienced when that happens. Instead, we can learn to relate to one another and love one another in the way that the gospel calls us to and say, sister, I want to encourage you in Christ. Brother, I want to encourage you in Christ to be who you are. Be who you are. Ladies, you belong to Jesus and no one else. You belong to Jesus and no one else. You are not someone's property. You are not someone's fantasy. Your identity and worth is not in your outward beauty, no matter how much culture tells you that that's the case. Your beauty and your value are found in your identity in Jesus. Your inward beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit that seeks to worship and is devoted to the King of Kings. So together, as the body of Christ, men and women, let's love one another in a new way. In the way that we've been loved by Jesus, who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, sojourn, the new community of God's kingdom people should so love and so care for one another that it's not a matter of a question of should a woman or a man marry? Should they be able to remarry? But we love so one, so one another in such a way that it's not necessary for someone to take that step because we care for one another and we have meaningful relationships with one another and friendships between men and women that it's a genuine alternative to the, worldly, to the loneliness of this world that we're not having to do that. Singleness can be maintained in our community because we invite one another into each other's lives and love one another in that way. So husbands, love your wives as Christ does the church. Brothers, love the women around you as your sisters in Christ. And fathers, today is Father's Day. And so if you're a dad here this morning, you either have a son or a daughter or a mixture of both. So let me encourage you today to think about this. One of the things that God has called you to as a dad is to bring your kids up in the instruction of the Lord, to bring them up in the ways of King Jesus. So dads, teach your sons. Teach your sons to respect and love and cherish the women in their lives. And that can start with their mom. That can start with their mom. Dads, teach your daughters what real femininity and real beauty is. And show her by your actions what it means to be loved and cherished by a man who's loving and following Jesus. Let her see that and experience that in you first. You've probably heard the phrase, boys will be boys. Well, right now, down that hallway, there are a bunch of little boys and girls, from babies up to elementary. But listen to me boys will not be boys, boys will be men. And those little girls will be women someday. But we live in a culture that is set on perpetuating adolescence, taking away responsibility, and then blaming others for when we mess up, regardless of how it hurts someone else. And we live in a dark world. But as God's kingdom people living in a dark world, we can shine a light in the dark by valuing women. We all have an opportunity to teach those boys and girls what it means to be men and women who follow King Jesus. To teach them how to relate to all men and women in a way that's honoring to God and that flows from a transformed heart. To take the ways of the world and say, No, this is not good. Beauty's not found in an outward appearance. Beauty's not found in the things we do. Our value's not found there. It's in the reality of our hearts and our lives submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. This is important to Jesus, it matters to Jesus, so it should matter to us too. Church, we cannot allow our whims and wants or the whims and wants of our culture to negatively impact our women. We're a family together of brothers and sisters, so what would happen if we valued women over our whims? What if we really valued women the way that God does, as co-image bearers, as precious and priceless? I believe that our light will shine bright then, that that lives will be transformed and changed from young to old. And most importantly, I know that our God who made both men and women in his image will be honored and glorified, and that is what this church is all about. So let's take that seriously and seek to value all people that bear the image of God in the same way for the glory of God and the good of others. We're going to come to the table now to take communion and each week as we come to the table we come to reflect and to celebrate and to remember and rehearse and be refreshed in the grace that God has given to us in and through Jesus. The bread is a symbol of Christ's body broken for you. The cup is a, is a picture of Christ's blood shed for you. And this meal is a family meal It's something we get up together and we come forward together to do this. It's a a meal that brings us together, reminds us that we are together as brothers and sisters because of what Christ has done for us. And so this morning, let me encourage you, if you're struggling right now, if you feel distant from God right now, if you know that you haven't valued women in this way or you've perpetuated this or you're struggling with sexual sin, whatever it happens to be this morning, would you confess that to the Lord this morning? He knows the reality of your life. He knows the reality of your heart. Would you confess that this morning? Repent of that this morning, of walking in ways that are not pleasing to the Lord and then run to the table. Run to the table this morning and be reminded that the blood of Jesus covers all of it. It covers all of it. And then I want you to look around and be encouraged this morning that men and women, young and old, are coming with you, all of us in need of grace and all of us able to receive that grace because of what Jesus has done for us. And if you're not a follower of Christ, if Jesus is not Lord over your life, if you've not placed your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, I just ask for you not to come forward this morning. And the reason for that is not to make it awkward for you to sit in your seat. Nobody's going to really be paying attention to what you're doing. The reason for that is because this bread and this cup doesn't do anything for you. It doesn't save you. And so we want you to take Christ first. We want you to experience that grace first by turning away from your sin and turning to Jesus. Pray that this morning, that God would save you. Take that step of faith. Become a Christian today. You can do that by just acknowledging your need for Jesus and asking Him to save you. Come talk to someone in this community. That's why this church is here. We want you to know Jesus and then want to help you follow Jesus. Next week, you can come forward and take communion. But those of you that are followers of Christ, we invite you to come to one of the tables, either at the front or the back. Tear off a piece of bread and take one of the small cups to drink. And what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. Father, this morning we do come before you and acknowledge the fact that this is all and only possible because of the gospel. Because of the fact that Christ has come, we can have new relationships with one another. Because of the fact that Christ has come, both men and women, from every nation and tribe and language have the ability to know you and come before you and live their lives in communion with you and in relationship with one another in a healthy way. And so, Lord, we pray, we pray that you would help us this morning to live out this reality, to live out these gospel truths, to be who you've called us to be. Help us as a family to value women, to encourage one another in Christ-likeness, to be brothers and sisters with one another, to not see women as objects to be to lust or long after or objects to be discarded when we don't care about them or want them anymore. I pray that we would champion the truth of the kingdom in our community so that others outside of this community would see their need for Jesus. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your grace. Help us to walk in repentance and faith and to shine brightly in a dark world for your glory and the good of others. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.